In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. The baptized walk a narrow path between two deceptions. On the one side is false hope, and on the other is despair. Martin Luther is one who famously struggled with despair during his life. He was terrified that God would not or could not forgive his sins. It was a struggle that led him ultimately to comfort. For being terrified by his guilt, Luther longed for a savior that would rescue him. But for many of his contemporaries, this despair led to lawlessness. That seems to have been the case, for example, with Pope Leo X, who was head of the Roman Catholic Church for part of Luther's lifetime. Knowing nothing of the pure gospel, thinking that God could not be appeased and that he was condemned in his sins, Leo simply gave, his, gave away himself to his baser desires and lived only for his flesh and was infamously an openly lawless man. Now, for the most part, we Lutherans are alert to this danger. Because of it, we've stressed God's mercy in Christ, his eagerness to forgive, and the all-availing sacrifice of Jesus' death on the cross, where he paid for all of our sins in full. Not one of them is left out. But the other danger that I mentioned earlier, false hope, is also deadly. Who could be deceived by hope? Well, the one who says, since God forgives my sins, my sins don't matter. Let me do as I please. Let me give loose reins to my lusts. My sins cannot be held against me for Christ's sake, so I will indulge them. One brother pastor puts it this way, in jest, of course. I love to sin, and God loves to forgive. What an arrangement. Such a person has turned God's mercy on its head. He has been deceived by the devil through hope and has become lawless as the one who has given himself over to despair. Let's actually look at a concrete example. Some will argue that those who are living a homosexual lifestyle or couples who are living together outside of marriage should be allowed to receive Holy Communion because they are forgiven for their sins when they come to the altar. But that is not genuine repentance and faith. They are deceived by their hope because they have no intention from turning from that lifestyle. Repentance means to turn away from your sin and not doing it anymore. The person who lives in an unrepentant life must stop, must repent. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound, says St. Paul this morning? May it never be. Today's gospel is concerned with that temptation to despair in hope. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The law is not evil. It is a moral code that's patterns are good. 
They are written into God's own character. His active obedience is that he did not sin. Jesus here gives us the law and embodies it in himself as his good and gracious will for mankind towards us. It is not an accusation or condemning when God told Adam not to eat from the forbidden tree. It was simply good. The law is still good even though our fallen flesh hates and chafes against it. The law has not been abolished, and it cannot be abolished. It has, however, as Jesus said, been fulfilled. The law's fulfillment is in our Lord's active and passive obedience. His active obedience is that he did not sin. He lived according to the law of Moses. He did not engage in lustful thoughts or envy or drunkenness. He loved his neighbor as himself, and he held nothing back. The reading from the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, is a picture of the way Jesus lived his life. He was good in the same way that we, by the law, are evil. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary without sin, and though he was sorely tempted and tried throughout his earthly life in every way that we are tempted, he did not sin. And in so doing, he fulfilled God's righteous demands for us. Now, I mentioned also the passive obedience of Jesus. His passive obedience is sort of the mirror image of this. Even though he was without sin, he suffered the full punishment that was due us sinners. He accepted the punishment meant for others and filled all of justice's demands for us. He fulfilled the law by doing what it said to do, but he also fulfilled the law in allowing the law do to him what it should do to us. In this way, he ended the law's accusations against us. Now, this does not render the accusations or demands of the law empty or meaningless. The law was never arbitrary. He was not just jumping through hoops. The law is good and holy. It is God's will for our lives. The act of obedience is not only substitutionary, that is, it's done on our behalf so that God sees us as righteous, but it is also for us an example. He not only resists temptation in our place, but he shows us how to resist temptation and inspires us to fight harder against our sinful flesh. He shows us how to live, what is good, what love actually looks like, not just mere lip service. Being fulfilled and complete in Jesus Christ the law does not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. But the word of God, his holy will contained in the law, will not. Having been fulfilled and embodied in Jesus Christ, the law is more eternal, more substantial than ever before. In a similar way, his death, that is his passive obedience, is also in our stead and is also an example for us. He shows us how we might live by faith, to trust in God's goodness in the midst of this evil world, 
because he shows us how to die a godly death as he has died for us. Again, having allowed the law to do to him what it was supposed to do to us, he has made the law more real. It is made more solid. It is more concrete. It is more lasting than it ever was before. When God gave the law through Moses, it was only an outline of God's will. But now in Christ, the innocent man, Jesus, was crucified. And the law has flesh and bones and is everlasting. For he is the very opposite of the man of lawlessness, for he is the law in the flesh. And so, for the sake of those who are in danger of despair, he has offered us a refuge of pardon. He is quick and he is glad to forgive. And he does this for the sake of his holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death. He receives and eats with sinners. The law has been fulfilled in him for you. Your sins are not too big. They're not too shocking. They're not too old to be forgiven because his grace is for you. But because there is that danger to take God's mercy for granted, for the sake of those who might be deluded by delays and think that our sins are not that big of a deal, he has made the day of our death uncertain. No one knows when the last hour will come. Thus, we should not become too arrogant in our hope, even as we should not be given into despair, but should simply trust in the fulfillment of Christ and his promises. Thus, Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery in John's gospel, There is no one to accuse you, nor do I condemn you. She was therefore secure in her past. Her sins were not counted against her, and neither are yours. Your past is forgiven. But then he says to her, go and sin no more. For his law is not a recommendation. Sin not only angers God, but it also places the soul in peril. And to us, he says... Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now the gentle kindness of the Lord is not weakness or uncertainty. Our sin is never trivial. We must repent of that notion that some sins are worse than others. Instead, we ought to set our hearts and our minds once more to be free from our sins, to amend our lives, to bear fruits of repentance that are real. And then we rest in the pardon bestowed constantly in God's word, the prayers that he teaches us to pray, and in his holy supper. For the crucified and risen man is every bit as serious in his promises and grace as he is in his holy law. After all, it is he who says to us today in our gospel reading, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. 
I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. He has come into the world not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came not to destroy the law. God cannot deny himself. But he came to fulfill its demands and its righteousness. And so on the day of his baptism in the Jordan River, when St. John the Baptizer balked at the notion of baptizing Jesus into the forgiveness of sins, Jesus answered him saying, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus Christ, the righteous of God and his being the law in the flesh, comes to fulfill the law's demands upon us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. By his active and passive obedience, Christ Jesus has set you free from the bonds of sin and death, redeeming you from, his, from the accusations of the law. And in so doing, he has given you a righteousness that far exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees that actually counts before God. It is not a righteousness that comes from within us, but it is the righteousness that he comes to give to us. And so now, dear Christians, you who have been set free from sin and death, God now gives his law to you that you might begin to live a life of faith toward him and in fervent love toward the neighbor. Therefore, go. Settle with those who would accuse you of your sins. Do not hold grudges any longer. God is not angry with you. You need no longer live in anger toward your neighbor. You are set free from wrath that you might live in peace with one another. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.